Blog Talk Radio. Welcome you to the Stop Child Abuse Now Talk Radio Show, sponsored by NASCA, which stands for the National Association of Adult Survivors of Child Abuse. And tonight is Monday, January 16th, 2023. It is Martin Luther King Day. Um, we recognize Martin Luther King on this day. And we are going to have a great show this evening. The type of show we have tonight is a special guest night. We have a longtime NASCA family member. Her name is Feather Burkauer, um, joining us from Colorado this evening. And um, we're very uh, pleased to have um, Feather on with us. And I'll tell you a little bit more about Feather um, after we uh, do some light housekeeping here right now. Uh, my name is Penelope Bennis, and I am from Sarasota, Florida. I'm also an adult survivor of child abuse on my host team this evening. My co-host is Kim Lakin, also from Colorado. And I um, thank uh, Kim for being on with me this evening. And we welcome you to the show. All are welcome to join the show tonight and participate in the panel. And uh, participating in the panel just gives you an opportunity to ask a question uh, to our special guest um, relating to her story, it is her story tonight to share and her information. Um, but you're welcome to interact with our special guests and come on the show. And Kim, as the co-host, will greet you on our back line and then welcome you in. So to uh, join the show tonight, um, it's a simple phone call to the number, area code 646-595-2118. And Kim will greet you and get you in. So again, to call and participate in our panel this evening, the area code is uh, 646-595-2118. So uh, before uh, I introduce um, and tell you a little bit more about Feather, I want to talk to you about NASCA because, as you know, uh, NASCA, uh, our mission is all about child abuse, trauma prevention, intervention, recovery. We have a single purpose at NASCA, and it's to address issues related to childhood abuse and trauma, including sexual assault, violent or physical abuse, emotional traumas and neglect, and we do so with only two goals. The first goal, educating the public, especially as related to helping society get over its taboo of discussing child sexual abuse, that is abbreviated CSA, presenting facts, showing child abuse to be a pandemic 
worldwide problem that affects everyone, and the second goal of offering hope and healing through numerous paths, providing many services to adult survivors of child abuse, and information for anyone interested in the many issues involving prevention, intervention, recovery. So once again, we welcome you to join our panel. My co-host, Kim, will greet you on our back line. The number to call in is area code 646-595-2118. And it looks like we already have a very uh, um, nice panel that is, that is uh, starting um, to call in to support Feather. And so um, we appreciate uh, your support. So I want to tell you a little bit more about Feather uh, Burkauer. Uh, she is from Colorado. She's an MSW, um, as well as a child sexual assault prevention of a must-read parenting book entitled Off Limits, A Parent's Guide to Keeping Kids Safe from Sexual Abuse. So there's a longtime NASA family member, um, and we're excited to have her on. It's been some time since she's been on her show. And I know she's going to tell us about something that she has coming um, coming up regarding this issue of uh, child sexual assault prevention um, coming up right around the corner. Um, and she's going to fill us in on how we can all support her efforts. So without further ado, I want going to unmute your line, Feather, and I'm going to welcome you into the show. So welcome, Feather, and thank you for um, coming on tonight and uh, sharing your story and your information with NASCA. You are so welcome. It's an honor to be here. Thanks for having me. Oh, you're so very welcome. Yeah. And yeah. so, well, Kim and I welcome you. And um, as you know, you know, we're also NASCA family members and we're both adult survivors of child abuse. Um, and uh, uh, obviously, I know from your work, um, you are uh, very involved in uh, in our, uh, what also comes with our mission. And I, I'm just curious, and we talked a little bit before the show, but um is there a is there a personal backstory um, 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 within your uh, experience that led you to this work? So, are you asking me is there a personal story around childhood sex abuse or how I got into this work? Particularly well, about you know, do, do, we, we, yes, we can hear you. We all you know we we have a we have our own personal um, story and experiences. Right. Um, and um, just on these special guest night shows, we do like to provide some context. And normally, you know, we would ask um, a guest if, if they wish to share to sort of take us through mm-hmm. their life chronologically so that we can, you know, okay. paint a picture yeah. of who you are. And it, sometimes it starts with where yeah. you were born and your family. And, and if, if you uh, wouldn't mind giving us some of that background, um, I know we have so many people that are calling in to support you um, on the panel right now and that are listening in that okay. would, would okay. like, you know, to hear your story if you're willing to share. Okay, so where was I? I was born in New York um, on Long Island, and I lived in New York for 12 years until we moved to Florida. And then I graduated in Florida, went to moved to Boulder, Colorado, where I live now. But I also took a little detour and went to Berkeley for nine years, Berkeley, California. And I guess what I want to share around my story with child sex abuse is that prevention is that. I knew nothing about this issue. I am not a survivor of child sex abuse. Um, I do believe that all of us on some level, women particularly, are 
we experience violation, little violations along the way, whether, you know, just in different ways. But I am not a survivor in childhood. I um, was attending college. I was young. I was an undergrad at San Francisco State University in the 80s. And I had to do an internship for my BA degree. And I had no idea what kind of work I wanted to do. I was studying women's studies. All I knew is that somehow I wanted to work with children, that I was drawn to the field, somehow helping children. And simultaneous to, to this assignment of, of needing to do an internship, I was at home one evening with my roommate. I think I was 23 years old. And a movie came across, a made-for-TV movie came on the, on the television. Many of you may have watched it or heard of it. It's called Something About Amelia. And it was a 90-minute made-for-TV movie about a 13-year-old girl being incested by her father. And like I said, I really knew very little about this, this um, crime, this violation. And I was mesmerized. I didn't blink, I didn't move, I didn't breathe for the 90 minutes. I was glued to the television. My heart pounded through the whole show, and I turned to my roommate at the end, and I said, that is my life work. I, I can't tell you why exactly. I was so moved and drawn by the violation of sex abuse, childhood sex abuse, but I was. And so I sought out some internship dealing with sex abuse in kids. And I landed in a program called Child Assault Prevention Project out of Berkeley, which is also actually an international program that at the time in the 80s went into the schools to teach children prevention skills. It was primary prevention. And it was about bullies, strangers, and then known people who sexually touch children. I did my internship there. I graduated. I worked with CAPS for five years. I went back to get my master's degree in social work, left California, came to Colorado, and started in the field. Over time, and I worked in prevention. I started my own CAP project here in Colorado, did that for years, and then started to kind of evolve in this work, meaning, and interrupt me anytime to ask questions, okay? I'm almost done with this personal story part, but please feel free to interrupt. Uh, I, as, as, Drawn as I was to teaching children how to protect themselves, at a certain point it became evident to me that this is not a child's job to have to live in a world to protect themselves from sexual abuse. That yes, children can and need to learn protection skills and it's important that they do. However, ultimately, I was realizing that it is up to adults to protect children, not for children to have to protect themselves. So long story short, I, I moved away from working with children and began my own program, which I, my business now, which is Parenting Safe Children, which is educating adults, youth professionals who work with kids in organizations, as well as parents and caregivers how to create environments that minimize risk of sex abuse. And so that's mm. an incest. And so that's what I've been doing for years. And somewhere in between there, I've had opportunities to 
be a part of outpatient treatment groups, men and women who have offended, and in prison speaking and interviewing people who have offended as well. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of a synopsis of my work, yeah. Wow. Yeah, all I can say as well is I'm listening to, you know, you describe your um, evolution, if you will, of, um, uh, you know, uh, getting into the work and, and the inception of, of really um, your vision, right, your your moment where you, you were drawn, you know, um, um, you know, in a very profound way. Um, and I actually jotted down the name of that made for TV, TV movie because now I'm intrigued. Um, um, through, you know, through the process of, um, you know, getting yourself out there, educating yourself, and, you know, realizing um, where, our, where there was a need um, mm-hmm. and where your yeah. focus, you know, where you blended in your focus. And so, you know, and I'm listening um, as an adult survivor of, of sexual um, abuse um, as a child and also as a parent who has, you know, has concerns about keeping her own children safe. So, you know, as you're describing uh, your, uh, your journey through, through your work and where you started and now where your focus is, you know, I, I'm sort of nodding my head and I'm thinking, gosh, there's just so much work to be done as well. Because um, as a young child um, living in a home um, where the inception of sexual abuse was when I was three years old, I just, that was my normal. I did not know that that mm-hmm. wasn't what parents did. Um, mm-hmm. So I, you know, while well, I do see that resonates with me for, you know, maybe defining, right, what safe boundaries are for, for children, um, because I actually didn't even realize, um, you know, the grooming process and actually the real when, you know, when the abuse started until a few years ago, and I'm, I'm 50 years old. So mm-hmm. um, that's how long what I thought was normal was normal. And, you know, um, but as a parent, too, you know, how we have these, how do we protect our children, especially with this subject that is still so, I feel, taboo. Um, a lot of parents, a lot of people do not want to talk about it, um, but we need to talk about it. We need to know um, how to have the dialogue and how to have the skills and the tools. So um, I'm just listening to what you're sharing, and I'm, I'm nodding my head, and there's, uh, I'm okay. so thankful for the work that you do. And um, there's so much work that needs to be done and education that needs to be done. Um, to do a better job protecting our children. And the good news is, I believe, on some level, it's happening. I mean, I've been doing this since the 80s, and and I'm a little older than you, for sure. Um, And there is more happening now. Yes, the denial is still there. Yes, there's, there's so much taboo still. But, you know, in my decades doing this work, things are changing. People are talking more. Parents are a little more receptive. I see them hungry to want to learn. And of course, there's a whole, you know, set of parents who and humans who don't want to talk about this. But I have seen changes over the decades. Which is so encouraging. It's just so encouraging. And that that is hopeful. Um, Yeah. It's a great time um, to um, just bring some of our um, panel members um, and my co-host Kim into the conversation. So if you don't mind, if I if we go down the panel and I, they, I'm sure they have a, a question or a comment for you um, after what you've shared. So Kim Lakin, also um, your neighbor in Colorado and my co-host this evening, I just want to invite you into the conversation with Feather. Um, 
Okay, Hi, Kim. <laughs> Hi. Well, thank you, Penelope. Hi, Feather. Yeah, thank Hi. you um, for all of the work that you're doing. It, it always fascinates me that people who have not been touched by it somehow are touched by, you know, children that have been abused. And so um, thank you for, yeah, just for your work that you're doing. I don't know if I have a whole lot of questions, but um, I agree as you do that it is the adult's responsibility and we need to stop, you know, expecting the kids to know because I, I remember at five years old, my first experience, I didn't even realize what it was. You know, right. and what I thought that I knew was that I must just not be old enough to deal with this yet or mature enough, I think is what I said to myself. I'm not mature enough to deal with this at five years old. And, um, hmm. but because I saw my friend being abused as well. That's why I, I kind of just went, wait a minute, I didn't want to. I'm running away from this. But my friend is sitting there taking this when in reality, she had just been abused her whole life, and it, she was used to it, where it was kind of my first insight into it. And so um, it was two brothers, her, her cousins, that separated mm-hmm. us and were both trying to get us to touch them or whatever. And um, so, yeah, absolutely. I, we had no idea. I, I didn't know that I should go home and tell my parents that you know, this was happening. Right. But she- then... Mm-hmm. Yeah, but then again, um, then my stepdad started molesting me when I was 12. So, you know, it, mm-hmm. it, I, I don't think I have that safe place anyway to go and talk to, to anyone about it. And, um, and my mom also made that very clear, and we've talked about this on the show before. When I did tell her what had happened to me, basically she said that it happens, you know, like – Sexual abuse just happens to women, and that's just something you're going to have to deal with. And um, mm. and then when I turned 18, I got pregnant and found out, you know, that that's not the only way. And I wasn't. I was going to make sure that I did everything I could to make sure that my child was not, you know, didn't just let that happen because there had to mm-hmm. have been another way. So I, you know, I raised my kids doing what I knew I wasn't supposed to, you know, the opposite of what my parents did because that just didn't seem right. And um, mm-hmm. and I would have loved to have some tools and just information as, you know, a young parent trying to raise three young kids on how to talk to them, how to, you know, make sure that they're familiar with body safety and um, and that they know they can say no. So I feel like I was just more of a helicopter parent instead of being able Uh to uh provide them with those materials that they needed to actually, you know, protect themselves. So, you know, I've made them. Yeah, go ahead. ahead. What you're both both addressing and and describing is exactly why I believe, at least in, you know, the work that I do, that there's two parts to this, to prevention. One is, 
educating children. Both of you said you didn't even know what was happening to you was wrong. You didn't know, you didn't understand what was going on. So educating children from the earliest of ages. So they do have tools. So they do, they do know who they can speak with. And they do know if someone touches their genitals, that is not okay. So giving, introducing it just like reading and writing and riding a bicycle and wearing your seatbelt and all the other things that we teach children. Introducing it in a non-frightening, proactive, you know, non-threatening way to children young. And the second part, which I am really the most passionate about, is adult caregivers, parents, speaking with other adults about those, what we call in this work, and you've used the words body safety rules or body safety boundaries, discussing those topics with the people with whom your children spend time rather yeah. than completely focusing and putting the burden on a child to teach them to say no, to teach them to not keep a secret, to teach a child to run, to yell, all of these tools, which I'm not, I'm for those, and I do teach parents how to teach those. However, as you both know, most children do not say no, they do not run, they do not yell, and they do not tell. Yet those are the components of so many prevention programs and so much of the work that's being done with kids. Run, say no, yell, and tell. Where is a child going to run when they're in their own bed, right? Where is a, a child going to yell? How are they going to yell when it's in their home in the night? And so what I feel so passionate about is looking at the reality of this crime and how it happens and then nuancing the language that we give to children around say no, tell someone, and taking any increased shame or blame that might be on them. For instance, if we teach a child, and many programs do and many people do, if someone touches your private parts or your genitals or your vagina, your penis, etc., you should go tell. Go tell right away. I mean, these are common prevention talks. You should say no. Tell them no. Well, we know most kids don't do that. So how about instead, when we're teaching those concepts, which we should be teaching, we just shift the language a little bit and say, you have my permission to say no if someone scares you, worries you, touches your body, asks you to touch theirs, etc. You have my permission, you are allowed to, you have the right to, versus you should. Because a child who is taught, let's say a child has not been sexually abused and they're taught, if someone does this, you should say no, and then it happens, right? Let's say it then happens to them, and they don't tell, because we both, all three of us know here the dynamics and why kids don't tell. Then the, the shame that they're going to feel and the, the blame, I was told I should tell, but I'm not telling, is just magnified. So I'm a huge proponent of, of really addressing children from the reality of how the crime works. And, and this is what I started with, rather than burdening them with that, like only burdening them with that, that the adults are are speaking with the people they put their kids in the care of as best as possible about those boundaries. 
So, for example, if you're bringing your child to a play date or a gymnastic school, grandpa's coming over, or the youth group at the church or the temple, et cetera, wherever your children go and who they spend time with. What if caregivers, parents, were having conversations about those boundaries, about their child's safety practices, about their child's consent, about kids not being forced to give hugs and kisses and that your children don't keep secrets and et cetera? What if that was the conversation with other adults and teenagers, older teens, that care for kids, so that you're inadvertently expressing to people that you are educated, that you are practicing prevention, not my kid. My kid is off limits, which is why, and I'm the co-author of the book, we named the book Off Limits. What if that Mm. was a standard conversation, just like here's my car seat, versus only focusing on children and repeatedly reminding them to not let people touch their bodies because kids don't, and that's the word. The operative word is let. When a parent says or a caregiver says, don't let anyone touch your body, children don't let people do that. Perpetrators take advantage of that. So I, I'm. this is my passion is just like the nuances of how to present this information to kids in a way where they're learning a tool yet really committing to the conversations with other adults, which is the hardest part for, for adults. You know, parents walk away from my workshops and they, they write me 10 years later saying, I remember everything you taught and I'm still practicing it. My kids know all their body safety rules. And I say, that's great. How are your conversations going with other adults? And I hear, oh, that's really hard. It's so uncomfortable. That's the hard part. Mm-hmm. You know, I could keep going and going. So, you know, and what I what I say to that is, are you willing to feel a little uncomfortable by having a conversation with your babysitter about secrets and touching genitals and the boundaries that you have for your kids so your children never have to feel the discomfort? Because it is my belief, and from the offenders I've spoken with, that the more we talk about this, the less vulnerable a child is because you're putting a barrier in between your child and a potentially unsafe person. Now, I know the dynamics are different when it's incest and it's in the home, right? There's some abuse that might not be able to be prevented when it's in the home like that, but there are still other adults around the offending family member who can intervene and teach prevention if, and practice prevention if educated. So I could keep and well, going for an hour. So I want you to, like, uh, do you have a no, question or no, any comments? No, thank you, Feather. Actually, we have another um, NASCA family member on our panel. Her name is, um, there she is, Lori from New York. And, Lori, I'm going to unmute your line. You've been patiently waiting. And I'd like you to introduce you to Feather. So good evening, Lori, and thank you for calling in. Hi, you're very welcome. How you doing over there, Feather? You're sounding pretty good over here. Uh, I'm from Long... I'm from Long Island myself, um, so I was like yeah. trying to figure out the accent difference between us. Well, um, I've been gone since I was 12, so I think I've lost it, although I'm still told often that I'm a true New yeah. Yorker. Yeah, you're probably a New Yorker, but <laughs> you sound more <laughs> like 
for a distant accent, but that's cool. That's really cool. I think that, um, you know, that you chose a wonderful profession. Um, This is an area that um, not only survivors can get to, but we also need professionals out that uh, teach what we teach. Um, but, you know, in the school, you're more accepted if you're one of uh, those the people who are expected to be there um, because some of us get caught up at different levels of our, our healing journeys. I was listening to Penelope and Kevin. You know, our stories are all uh, horrors, um, mm-hmm. and we've all lost a lot of us in, in the making of it. I mean, we came out. Not not exactly on time, on schedule of when certain things were going to happen because all the trauma from what we were living. So we ended all up in different places. But mm-hmm. what we we were talking about is the the real being of a child abuse survivor, um, which is like extremely hard. It's a, a horrible thing to have to go through, and it really does change a person. Some people say it makes a person. Some people say it changes a person to make a better person. Yeah, I'm still on the fence about that one. So um, what you're saying, and it sounds like it's the uh, definite thing that the schools need. It's um, places that you go are actually people need to hear what you say, you know, what you've learned in, um, from college and from well, you know your experience on your end of it. So I think you're in a good place. Thank you. What I can say also, your name is Lori, is that right? Yep. Lori, is that, you know, about you being on the fence, what what I've learned is that whether you come out better or you don't come out better, all, all of that, is that child sex abuse interrupts development, period. That's a fact, yes. Right. That, that's a fact. We feel like people. we are. Yeah. We feel like we are stunted because we are stunted, and some of us can get out of it, you know, for a time. Some of us can't get out of it. Some of us mm-hmm. have more horror than the other horror, and yep. it's all about, you know, what opportunities are out there, or what escapes we have, or is anybody going to help us? It's a hard field, and since it is so old, and we already know that it used to be very rarely talked about. Uh, you were supposed to just take it. And, uh, you know, it's obviously changed, but it's not changed to where it's supposed to be. And we need people um, to take it into, like, as you say, um, any kind of program you can find where you can gather a bunch of people, you know, and teach them how to, to you know, talk to their kids because a lot of them really don't know. And a lot of them might be survivors themselves, and they think they're doing a better job. There's a hell of a lot of survivors out there. So, right. and, and it's often parents who are survivors are very triggered to, you know, I get yeah, questions all to, the time. Yeah. You have to deal with all these different types of people. And when somebody comes up and, um, like, there are actually some people that will not talk to another person unless they are a survivor. I've heard mm-hmm. of it. I've known of it. Um, it's actually a true fact. 
because they think they don't know, you know, the same angle that they, you know, the other person knows. They don't realize that all these people have to get together, wherever, what profession we're in, whatever position we're in life. We all have to come as one. And when people need things from us, which you can find all over NASCA, they just pull out your name and they get the information, and you're on there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So and I honor that. You know, I do honor that. If if someone needs, they they can't speak with me or another person who is who has not have does not have the lived experience of sexual trauma. I understand. I understand they need something else. And I hear what you're saying that you know there's a place for all of us to to contribute. And. It's just where my life has taken me, and yeah, and, and you know, I'm not a survivor of child sex abuse. I've had my share of trauma in childhood, not sexual trauma, and so my heart is aligned with the little being who is hurt. You know, so maybe that's why I was drawn to this work. I'm not sure. Probably. I mean, every child has some things that just don't go right for them. Right. You know, no, right. No, no, nobody has a perfect life. So whatever happened to you that led you there, um, you know, you don't have to ignore it. You can one day check out and see maybe what it is, if, you know, you can fit the, into any of the categories or whatnot. But something did draw you there. You, know, mm-hmm. didn't, you just didn't give birth. Your mom didn't just give birth and say, <laughs> oh, we have this person that's going to be doing all these things down the road. It didn't happen like that. Well, so, well yeah. I, what I can say about the movie, if you all watch it, it's something about Amelia. It's with Ted Danskin, the actor. At a very young age, watching that movie, intuitively, never having been taught anything about the crime, the violation, I I just understood the dynamics. I understood the layers. I understood, it just felt, I don't even know what words to use right now. Like I just... Uh, You were born with morals. That's the words. You were born with morals. You knew what's going on is wrong, and you don't want to settle for it, and you have a wonderful personality to interact interact with all these people and give out all this information. So um, that movie for you, if that's what it triggered, I say, you know, that that's the best thing in the world. Mm-hmm. You know, what, yeah. Whatever it is, do it. Follow the road. Open the door. Go through it. Do the best you can mm-hmm. with it. Take in all the information, you know, that comes in around you and become a better person. You give more along the way. That's how it goes. Yeah. 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 Guess thank what you, I have Lori. to say. Down, you're well, thank you, you're Lori. Up. We'll come down the panel hopefully, you know, one more time. And I always appreciate, you know, having you on, Lori. And so it's good to, it was oh, good to see you. your name in the panel. So I'm going to put you back in the listen-only mode. And, um, you know, as as I'm listening to this, this discussion, I, you know, one thing that really um, – Resonate with me, Feather and um, Lori and Ken. We also have some, someone who called and who's listening in, so I still see that you're on the panel. Um, is that when we, in your work, I think when we talked about, you know, the more that we can bring up the subject matter, 
um, and have the conversation um, and have the conversation be a conversation that has the awareness like when I was a teenager and getting, you know, um, in those teenage years, it was um, Mothers Against Drunk Driving um, was up and coming. Um, so that was a big, you know, focus on just the awareness on the dangers and uh, risks of drunk driving. And the other one was a commercial about your brain on drugs. And there was a um, a pan and then an egg was, um, you know, put on, onto the hot pan and started, you know, to fry the visuals. Oh, yeah. And so <laughs> I remember that. These, yeah. And so, these, you know, these were um, topics that really weren't, you know, mainstream topics of discussion um, and weren't conversations that, you know, most um, parents were having with their um, teenage or, or their younger children. Um, and, you know, because of the awareness, um, it became um, more commonplace. And so, you know, I do have hope um, that in the work that you do um, and the conversations that um, um with the, you know, with the parents and responsible adults and caregivers, you know, that, that this dialogue will um, lend to, you know, that kind of a phenomenon. Um, and, of course, um, I'm thinking about my own, of course, when we hear these things and, and we're adults survivors of, of child abuse and sexual child abuse, I think of my own history. Um, and what Kim's comment, too, about, well, Kim's mother was, well, this just happens to girls. You know, this is just something that we accept. You don't really talk about it. You know, it just is what it is. Um, mm. And uh, my own mother, who, you know, chose to um, watch it and look the other way because we don't talk about it, you know. And I suspect it happened to her, and we just, good girls don't say anything. You just, you just the other way, you know. They're powerless, just look the other way. So, you know, the more, and I'm thinking the more conversations, you know, the more awareness, the more conversations, you know, those parents will be, you know, forced to address the issue or to look at the issue a little bit or or challenged um, or beckoned or called to look at the, the topic a little bit differently. And so I, I'm also, you know, I'm hopeful and thank mm-hmm. you for what you do. You're welcome. You know, and, and most of the parents who come to my workshops are hungry for this information. Like I said, I mean, it's not mandatory. It's This is a private business I do. It's not mandatory in school. I, I don't work for any organization. Come on their free will. What's interesting is when I kind of survey the audience to learn how they got to the workshop, what I find is that their friends usually tell them they went, and then their friends say, look, you need to go to this workshop in order for our children to play together, I want you to go do this. And often it takes somebody three, four, and even five times to be invited over years before they will actually register and attend because it's such an uncomfortable topic, people say. And there's so many myths about what talking about child sex abuse will feel like and, you know, I mean, there's people think that that the workshop is going to be a couple of hours of horror stories and graphic stories about child abuse, which it's not. You know, it's not what I do, really. I, I do some education about grooming and about 
age-appropriate sex behavior in children versus concerning behavior because we know that a third to a half of all CSA is committed by kids, by youth. So I go into what does it look like when an adult is grooming versus when a child sexually acts out. And then the rest of the workshop really is empowering and prevention. It's all about the language you can be using with your children, the body safety boundaries and rules, and then how to take those body safety rules that you will be teaching your child, hopefully, and communicate them to the cousins and the grandparents and the teachers and the gymnastics coach and the priest and whomever it is that your kids are in the care of. So the workshop really is interactional and lively and conversational and we practice. It's not, at least in what I'm doing, it's there is a place for survivors to tell their story and the details of their story if that's what's healing and helpful for them. And that's not what I'm doing in my work. I'm saying, hey, this, this crime exists. It's, a, it's an epidemic worldwide, and this is what we need to do about it to keep kids safe. And giving parents and caregivers and schools, youth organizations, hands-on, actionable steps that are not always comfortable but simple. You know, to allow a child to choose if they want to show affection is not a horror conversation. You know, that's, that's consent, and that, that's a, a tidbit of decreasing vulnerability in kids. But I, what I want to do, though, you all, is have the adults in the family gathering at Thanksgiving be supporting each other and discussing with each other that consent for kids versus the child having to say, no, Uncle Joe, I don't want to hug. I'm trying to get the adults to say, Uncle Joe, Lily does not want to hug right now. Please stop trying to hug her. Not that a kid shouldn't be able to say it themselves, but a lot, like having parents be able to model that language. Because here's the thing. How can we expect a five-year-old to her uncle and say, don't touch my private parts. Stop it. Like, right, we give kids this empowering language. How can we expect a, a, a little child to say that when the adults around the child are usually noticing those grooming behaviors or even if they're not grooming, even if it's a safe person, they're noticing behaviors that are crossing boundaries. And the adults are too nervous and too uncomfortable to speak up because they don't want to offend. And they don't want to get Uncle Joe mad at them. They don't want to cause family conflict. They don't want to sound like they're accusing, right? There's so many reasons as adults we come up with not to talk about this. Yet we expect four, five, six-year-olds to say, don't touch my vagina? That's backwards to me. Line to draw, right? I mean, it, it is the parents. It's the parents that have to have the courage to have the conversation, have to have the courage to, you know, step in appropriately. I mean, I always say at the end of the shows, then when I close out, like I will this evening, you know, there are enough adult eyes and ears in this world to keep every child safe. 
you see something, say something. It's our moral responsibility to do so. And we know, yep. like you said, we we know when we, we can, we have eyes. Parents, I have three sons. I have eyes all over my head. I have eyes in the back of my head and the sides of my head. I mean, I've had to outwit, outsmart, you know, outmaneuver. I know what's going on 99% of the time. And parents know. Parents do know. I mean, they sense, they know. Um, it, it's just, it's confronting that. And I love what you said about um, other parents holding parents accountable. Like, I can't let Susie go over to your house until, you know, this is a sixth conversation, you know. Mm-hmm. You have this conversation, mm-hmm. right? Like, we have to hold each other accountable, accountability. Um, and, uh, you know, if we're putting our, you know, we're right now holding our children accountable to have those difficult conversations, and we're not willing to have them, or we're not comfortable right. having them. Well, that's complete contradiction. Um, right. It's messed up. It's, it's, it's not fair. No, it is not. It is not fair. Um, in fact, I just um, was telling Kim before the show that um, I um, just read Jeanette McCurdy's book, I'm Glad My Mom Died. I don't know if you've read her book or heard of her book. Um, I actually just you, did. You did? Okay. I just, I just did it. I didn't well, my, read it. My son, I just heard about it. It's called I'm Glad My Mom Died. Yeah, okay. I'm Glad My Mom Died. And uh, she, as, as, um, um, those listening in on the panel may or may not be aware. Jeanette McCurdy um, is a child. Uh, was a child is a child, well. She's thirty now. She's no longer a child. She was she was a child actress. She was on iCarly. Her character was Sam Puckett. Um, and her autobiography is really detailed out um, her her abuse um, um, in her in the home, and um, she talks. She was. She was subjected to uh, many forms of uh, maltreatment, um, and one was sexual abuse by her mother. Um, mm-hmm. And I, you know, j- just the fact that you know, not a lot of. I mean, I've, I've hosted and I've been on Alaska, you know, a number a long time. I've hosted a lot of shows, and um, you know, women talking about their mother sexually abusing them is not very common, from what mm-hmm. I've heard. I know it happens. Saying it doesn't mm-hmm. happen. Um, and her mother would strip her down and bathe her and give her um, um, exams um, on her privates until she was 17 years old. Um, mm. And um, so she, you know, I think, and I'm sharing this because I think it's important to define, even for parents, what sexual abuse is, what grooming is, right? This is, there are, you know, there are many different forms of childhood sexual abuse. Um, and so her, you know, she, she is very raw and real um, in her book and describing her um, experiences. And I really applaud her for it. We need, we need young people also to lend their voice um, and to talk about these things because, um, you know, it, it gives others permission to do so. Um so I yeah I'd be interested in your in your thoughts on her book but um there were many many times I wanted to just hug her um mm. and uh and uh my heart broke for her a, a, a million times as I read the book and um 
and I'm proud of her. And um, I think it took a lot of courage. And uh, I hope uh, that uh, there is, um, you know, this conversation that she has started in such a very public way in using her her visibility um, for who she is 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 um, for um, for the sake of um, getting the getting her story out there and her experience out there. You know, I applaud her for that. Um, I think it was very, very brave. Um, and I would be interested on in your thoughts. Well, I'm definitely going to order it now and read it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so, uh, but, but I think, you know, I also mentioned it because there are just so many different forms and types of, of childhood sexual abuse. You know, children being exposed to pornography at a young age or even the language. I mean, there, I don't, like you had said in, in terms of when you are describing and defining this and, and educating, um, I, you know, I, I think that there's a lot to a lot to learn and a lot that parents don't understand. And I don't know if you mm-hmm. have found that to be true in terms of how it is defined and what really encompasses childhood sexual abuse. Well, one thing I can say when you bring up por- pornography is. I do phone consultations with families as well, and one of the most common uh, calls that I, I've been getting in the like, last couple of years are parents who are asking about young children who have either accidentally or purposely been exposed to pornography on their device. So kids who, you know, they're with their friends on a play date, they're seven, six, sometimes even as young as six, but somewhere in that range, six to nine-ish. And they type in, they have their iPad and, you know, in the room on a play date, and they type in what is sex, or they type in boobs. Or, you know, children are are so curious. They, they need accurate medical, correct information about sexual development, and if they don't get it, they seek it out. And it's, and it's very easy to find. But what's so scary is that what they find is porn. And that is one of the most common calls that I'm getting lately. Is wow. Child to child abuse acting out and exposure to pornography. And the scary part is when a child is exposed to pornography, sometimes it's adult pornography, but we know that youth are in those porn, uh, violent porn scenes and images. They're dressed like they're older than 18, but they're actually youths. They're minors. And so young children are being exposed to this at rampant rates. It's a whole other issue and topic. And, and that is part of body safety education at home. You know, when yeah. I go through body safety rules with parents, I also, toward the end of those 10 rules that I teach, is talking to kids about pornography. But you don't just start with a six-year-old with porn. You know, there needs to be a, a basis of the body safety concepts. But many experts are suggesting that we start talking with kids about porn around age six because the average age when a child is exposed to porn on a device is somewhere in the 7 to 11-year-old range. By 11, most kids have seen pornography on your device, on their own device, or on their friends. And Desensitization is used by adult perpetrators, you know, and teens by showing porn. Mm -hmm. So 
it's another part of the, the piece of education with with everyone involved. Yeah, and 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 monitoring all of that as a parent um, is not easy with the internet. It is mm-hmm. not easy. It is not easy. You know, I it have isn't. I see. Uh, I like to go down the channel one more time because time is flying and it always does on these shows. And Kim, I'm just going to come to you um, after Lori, but she's got her hand raised. And so I want to just um, go back to Lori first. But Kim, I haven't forgotten you. So um, Lori, I'd just like to welcome you back on with um, Feather. And I see a hand raised. Maybe maybe that's from prior, but I'm just inviting you back in anyway. Um... I'm thinking of the broad picture, you know, outside the the inside community of, you know, survivors among ourselves. And I think that the field, as I said, that you chose um, being able to get in and talk to not only the kids but the parents of the kids that need talking to because, being this is such a generational thing, they probably weren't talked to and aren't aware of all the ways that you can let your kids know, you know, what's okay and what's not. Um, I went through school and had absolutely nothing taught to me um, whatsoever, and all the way up to high school. So it was one of the big things when I was with my club, that we tried to get into the schools to talk to these kids. But just knowing that there's like a field out there where there's someone that can just keep going from place to place to place and not have to battle to get in the doors um, is doing a lot of good for upcoming parents, which you never know what their upbringing was. They need to hear it all. Mm-hmm. And um, you have a degree in it, and the knowledge that you've got in your head, you know, helps when it's not just only survivors talking. We need outside people, you know, to tell us what happens on the outside looking in. You know, can they find the kid? Do they know, say, if they're a teacher, if they know which kids are being abused at home, can they tell Are they able to... You know, the things that they should be doing. But they haven't been taught, um, as teachers do get taught different things with different kids that come in. It's not enough to talk about it once or twice or three times. It should be a regular thing, just like anything else is. I don't believe in secrets anymore, and I don't believe in hiding or protecting people that are, you know, harming kids, the people that are toxic, you know, just even if you put your body in front of them so they can't get to a kid to go terrorize them in some which way, whatever anybody can do to stop anything that they happen to see that they can handle um, whether it be having to call the police in or CPS in or talking to the parents, of course, talking to the child, you just want to get it right. Um, once they come up and they start coming to tell their stories 
to the people who they're supposed to be telling them to, there has to be a lot of education with the answers that these kids get. So I think what you're doing and what you've been doing sounds just about right to me. Hmm. Thank you. Yeah. You know, I don't know if you're interested in hearing the work that I do with youth organizations, but it's, would you like me to tell you that? Oh, absolutely. So it's my belief, and not just mine, but many people in this field and in field of education, that any person in the business of youth has a responsibility to have concrete, sound child sex abuse prevention policies in place to minimize risk and deter offense. And so what I'm working on in youth organizations, I get hired to teach the basics around grooming and body safety, et cetera, but a, a, a great focus is on the policies that all staff need to be trained in to minimize that risk. And, you know, when you say CSA policies, it's a mouthful. And really what that means is each policy that a staff member is asked to follow, for instance, sound policy is that there is almost never, there's always exception, but never a time when one adult in a school or a camp or wherever it is, is alone with a child. Okay, so what I'm teaching is 30, it's about 35 policies actually in, a, in the workshop that I teach to youth professionals. And we go through each one of these Another word for the policies is uh, behavioral expectations, okay, or, or codes of conduct. And teaching the staff what these are and, and helping the administration of these organizations implement these policies. And each one of the policies are based on how adult perpetrators groom, how they offend. So they're not just made up like, oh, you should do this, you should never be alone with a kid. They, they all come from the reality of how the crime works. And it's just unbelievable to me how many schools and organizations do not have CSA on their radar and no less do they have policies. And train their staff in those policies. And if, you know, imagine if every youth organization had a standard culture that said that every interaction between an adult and a child needs to be interruptible and observable, period. Now, I know we're taking this out of the context of family and incest for a moment here because I'm talking about schools and youth organizations, but this is the piece not the caregiver parent piece, but the organization piece, is to help these organizations implement and train their staff in these codes of conduct. Not spending time with children outside of working hours. Um, not favoring children. Speaking about personal life with children. Giving gifts to children, etc. Things, social media. Just all the ways that adults groom children what are the standard codes of conduct in a school? And so that's the work that I'm doing on that professional side of it, outside of the parenting piece. Like, 
I applaud you for that. And, and, and Lori, before um, I, I um, bring him on from the panel, did you have any other questions or comments for Feather? Um, no, actually, I'm listening to the rest of what she has to say. Okay, well, thank you, and thank you for your for your comments and your questions. So, um, Kim, I'm just going to invite you back in um, before we start the final third of the show. Yeah, it, it does. It always goes so quick. <laughs> um, <clears throat> so, so there, I was curious how you look at, like, Aaron's loss, for instance. Is that something that you feel is beneficial? You know, <laughs> and, <laughs> that's and. I mean, I did the work of Aaron's law for, that's how I got started in this work. I did that for, all, you know, a decade and a half. My focus was on... Yeah sitting in, I mean, literally 100,000 children I probably taught, um, classroom after classroom, day after day, three and four workshops a day with kids, teaching them how to keep themselves safe. And now every time I see that tagline, how to teach children to protect themselves from predators, I get like it's difficult for me to to continue to hear that perspective. So while I think Erin's law and what Erin's doing is awesome, and yes, children need to be educated, just like you both said in the beginning. Yeah, you didn't know what was happening to you, so there's that side of it, but not at the expense or not in place of the adults being trained. Because for me, it keeps coming back to you're at the family dinner, and Lily is uncomfortable, and the adult is nudging Lily to tell the adult she's uncomfortable when the adult can't say it. And it's just, that's not effective to me. Yeah. So, well, yes, and my I, understanding, yeah, my, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Finish. No, you go. I was just going to say, my, my understanding of the whole scope of Aaron's law was that adults, that the community needed to be educated, not just the children, but that the community. But are they so, educated? Um, I don't know. Do you know, Kim? Are the, do well, they have parts of their program that educate the community? No, I think that it feels, from my understanding, you know, you have to come up with your own education. So, you know, for instance, what you're doing is huge helping and being in that arena. Um, but if the law, I guess that's what I, I'm just kind of getting at. It just baffles me a little bit that if that law is there, the school, I know the schools are not getting all of that that needs to be provided um, mm-hmm. or the, the school districts. I, I think that was my understanding is the school districts need to provide education for the children as well as the community. And um, yeah. that's what I heard. Mm-hmm. So, when I, yeah, when I no, I mean... Mm-hmm. When I was first trained in the 80s in California, Maxine Waters was, the, I think, the author of the bill where in California it stated, and this was in, I got started in 1985, so 85 through 89, where all children in California, the schools were mandated to offer CSA prevention programs, and CAP was one of them that I worked for. 
they had to offer it, but the pro, but but it wasn't mandated that every school had to comply and have it. So, and that's you know how it is in many states now. Yeah, and that's what I find too is that when I am asking and you know being curious about what my grandchildren's school is doing, um, it always seems to be about maybe this little program that they do for the kids. And I have a, a teacher's aide that works over in Middleton School District. And um, she said, you know, we're not even allowed to go in with the kids. It's the teacher that comes in and teaches. And it's some mm -hmm. kind of a puppet show. I'm sure you're probably yeah. familiar with it. But I, am. I don't know which um, program it is, but I've become, Kim, well, you're really close to me if what? you're near Lakeland. Um, it's because I've become yeah. a real critic in in the language that's used when teaching children in classrooms. I'm all for the education, but as soon as the, the, the um, yeah the con as soon as the content gets into putting the responsibility on a child that they should tell. I mean, imagine a kid you both know sitting there hearing that who is being incested, who's living it, and they can't right. tell. They can't. They will lose all their financial support. They will lose their dad. They will lose their uncle. They'll, they'll, you know, they've been threatened. There's so many reasons kids can't. So I just, you know, I'm I'm critical of of how the information is taught. Yeah, I am but as I well. Am so I agree with you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I agree with you. I do, and it and it worries me too the way that um, people are still being protected as well that I'm finding out with, you know, because I I have a lot of friends actually that you know became teachers as their kids were were growing up, and um, and so I hear a lot of different stories, and I just think, oh my gosh, I could never do that. I could never work in a place where I had to just be quiet and not say what I really felt if something mm -hmm. was going on, you know, mm -hmm. or, mm -hmm. you know, like I said, my friend said, well, they're, they let somebody go today. And, um, and I said, well, do they let other school districts know when somebody is let go because of, you know, the possibility of something inappropriate or however they want to kick them out of the schools? Do they let other school districts know? I don't think they do. No, and I my, don't think they do. You know, my, my grandkids are in a different school district, so they're, you know, kind of like the whole thing. They kind of just pass them along. And yeah. that just infuriates me. It just and the, the so truth bad. is there are, there are people who sexually abuse children in every school, in every youth organization, yeah. people who offend are among us everywhere. There are friends or family. They're, you know, they're everywhere. So, and I don't even like to say they are because that's othering and I'm not into the othering, but people who, who harm children are among us. And, yeah. you know, if you get worried that we're passing someone off to another district, there's others right there in your own. So, yeah. Right? That's true. And, yeah. yeah. There's so much more. There's so many more ways now that we even know that, you know, like you can look up 
the map in our neighborhood and see how many are in our neighborhood, you know. And those are only people who have been convicted. That's it. Right. Right. Yeah. You know what? It takes on a whole new meaning. I have six grandbabies now, and I'm like, it takes on a whole new meaning because I'm not able to be there with them. It was like I, that was my life is to be there for my kids and make sure they Mm -hmm. were safe and protected. And I, you know, spoiled them too much. But, um, But come now they're, the they are adults. So. Come to my workshop and learn it all. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. Um, but yeah, no, I, yeah, I, I understand. And um, yeah. my children have taken, they have taken classes. They've taken the darkest to light towards the children class. Mm-hmm. And um, however, I still see. Things like my daughter will let my granddaughter go to the bathroom by herself at a restaurant. And I just want to pull my hair out. No, do it. She's only 10 years old, you know. So it's like those kind of things, which they drive you crazy as a grandma because now I know even more than I knew. I knew quite a bit raising my kids. But now I know even more just from all the work that I've done. uh, That would drive me crazy, too. And... (laughs) The reality, let's just all remember that the reality of a child getting sexually abused in a public restroom in a bathroom is less likely than getting up from the table at the holiday dinner and a family member following them into the bathroom. Yeah. And both are important. But we don't don't want to forget where these things really happen. Not that I would let a five-year-old Yeah. No, 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 but, and the difference is my grandchildren are more educated because that's what I, that's been, right. you know, my goal as well, because that's all I could do is educate them. And I have body safety books on my bookshelf and um, especially my oldest granddaughter, she, she just turned 10 this summer and, um, and she, her and I used to read all the body books, body safety books and, and she even, you know, took a couple of them with her and, that's fine. I'm like, I bought them a couple. And so I've been really active. So even if my daughter chooses not to, you know, be as aware as I am, <laughs> that's mm-hmm. what I'm with them, I go with her. And and she knows that. My granddaughter knows that. When it, we're on, in the same restaurant, she's just like, Grandma, will you go with me? And I'm like, yep. <laughs> yep. <laughs> but um, so, yeah, you know, they, they're so smart and they pick it up. And that's why... I do feel a little bit safer knowing that my grandchildren have some more tools that I wasn't able to give to my kids because I didn't have them at the time. So, right. Yeah. yeah. Well, they're thing. lucky that they're Thank fortunate you. to have you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for all that you do and for being on tonight. And, You're and welcome. Educating us. Nice yeah, if anyone listening wants to, um, is interested in the workshop, I have one coming up this weekend. They're done all via Zoom, so anyone anywhere can attend. And it's um, two Saturdays in a row, this Saturday and the following Saturday. So, Brother, yeah, can you tell us a little bit more about your class? <laughs> What's that? What's that? Uh, I missed what you said. The same thing. Yeah, I was saying the same thing as Kim. It's not. Can you tell us a bit more about your class and um, – start, you know, the duration and the in the content and how, you know, how to access it, all the details. Yeah, sure. 
So they're done in two parts. Um, and the next one is January 21st and 28th, um, 9 to 11.30 a.m. Mountain Time. So two and a half hours 21st and two and a half hours on the 28th. There's part one and part two. And you can register at parentingsafechildren.com. And then it's backslash calendar is, is where the registration is. But you can find it anywhere on the website, parentingsafechildren.com. And the content is basically everything we've been talking about. So in a nutshell, part one on day one, I'm talking about the overview of child sex abuse, defining it, what it is, um, what makes children vulnerable to sexual abuse, what makes, what makes children's caregivers vulnerable to their family experiencing this, and age-appropriate sex behavior in children versus concerning behavior. So really going through the differences of what is normal sexual curiosity for children, how to nurture that sexual development, how to have conversations with children about sexuality and sexual development, how to answer their questions, and then all the body safety rules and boundaries that go into body safety education starting as early as one and two years old. That's a nutshell of part one, that's two and a half hours. And then the next week, we put all of that information into practice. And again, this is my really where my passion lies is I'm, I'm helping parents build what I call a prevention team of caregivers. So if you imagine your children in the middle of this circle and then all the adults around them and older youth who care for them, take care of them, the people you put your kids in the care of, all of those people, you can become part of your child's prevention team once you have shared the body safety rules and you get an explicit yes that everyone is on the same page with you, that, that your family and friends and whoever these loved ones are agree they will not ask your child to keep a secret, even an innocent-like secret, like don't tell mommy we had ice cream, that everyone agrees children get to choose hugs and kisses, etc. All the body safety rules that I taught last week, I'm teaching parents how to discuss those, how to, how to have conversations about sex abuse with all of these caregivers. And so I show some videos, we do role playing, we do a role play about a neighbor inviting your child over to play for the first time on a play date and how to broach the topic of CSA before letting your kid go to the play date or the sleepover. How to interview a camp before you send your child to a camp to learn their policies. And so everything from part one we're practicing and putting into action in part two. So that's the content in a nutshell. Um, it's all, like I said, done via Zoom. And if anyone needs a certificate of attendance for continuing ed hours or whatever they need it for, that's provided as well. And it also comes with a 12-page download, the workshop of materials. Oh, that's Sounds fantastic and very comprehensive as well. And yeah. I think to, to hand out the materials and to give parents, you know, the role-playing opportunity, but really to outline in detail the, the dialogue, because I think a lot of it, too, sometimes we're just, we shy away from things that we're not comfortable with, we're uncomfortable with. So 
um, as you just said, you're just you know, you're giving them all the tools, right? Yep. To, yep. to follow through to implement this. Um, Pretty empowering. And, it is, it's a it's a really empowering couple of hours for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, so can you repeat the information on, on how to access the workshop? Just yes, for those so, who are listening. Yeah, my website is parentingspacechildren.com. And then if you want to go right to the registration page, it would be backslash calendar. If you want to go to the main page, parentingsafechildren.com. And my book is there off limits, my conversation starter cards. I, I created these cards to get these conversations with caregivers started where you can hand the card to your babysitter, to your coach, and the body safety rules are on the front of the card and facts about CSA are on the back of the card and as well as how you can help in uh, the, the, what I call the asks, what you're asking of that person. And so it's a way to hand people the card to get the conversation started and to, in effect, in a, in a way, say to someone, because you don't, we don't know who offends children. We don't know if we're talking to someone with a sex behavior problem, right? You just don't know. So by handing this card, you're letting people know my children have been educated and they are less vulnerable. Does that make sense to you all? Kind of ha- having that conversation with the adults. Absolutely. Starter cards that I have that I that I created to a outpatient treatment group of men who are pretty far along in their treatment process. And I handed the cards out and I asked them what they might have done if someone gave them a card, like this information on a small card, before they ever offended the child. And I've heard it all in this work. You know, I've, I've heard many, many horror stories and painful, you know, trauma stories. And I had chills on the back of my neck when these men answered because and it's not the same for every person who perpetrates. But the theme and the trend was if someone is this focused on this topic and issue, that's not a family or a child that I can gain access and opportunity of. And they said, if a handful of them said, if someone handed me this card, I'd run for the hills. We don't want them running to another child. We all agree to that, agree on that probably, but we have to start somewhere. So if we can just, you know, make kids less vulnerable as much as we can. So that that's was, all on my website. Yeah. What's that? Wow. I just said, I just said, wow. I mean, that is, that is um, really um, incredible that the, re- the reaction, right? The response that you got from, from these, these perpetrators, um, that you know you basically were interviewing and getting their feedback on it, and that is, um, you know, that is really really powerful yeah. because you know we know that that the perpetrators um, focus on those that are weak, those that are vulnerable. Yep. And um, you know, your your this is a type of armor. The education is a type of armor, and the the card is obviously a type of armor. Um, and it does not display weakness. Um, 
at all. Um, but strength mm-hmm. and, and like you keep using the word and I, I like it. I agree with it. Empowering, you know, we're your process empowers. And I, I'm, I wish that I had had those tools um, when my kids were younger um, and that um, I had that knowledge when I was younger as well. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, as, as a younger girl, um, because as you know, when you, um, are maybe I'm sure I'm assuming you know, but I I know that um, for me and the trend is when you're born into um, that type of an environment, it's what you know is normal. Um, mm-hmm. And so, um, as you accept certain behaviors normal, and you accept certain you know methods of being of the way you were treated as is commonplace, um, you are a target. And so a lot of the times that the sexual abuse extends beyond the home um, because of that weakness um, that or right. that that has been sensed. And so um, it, it is, um, you know, a, a way to, you know, really, I think it goes well beyond the home um, when children and parents are educated and given these tools um, to use. Um, how much prevention? This this is the essence of prevention, um, and it, it like it reverberates, you know, into so many different areas. Mm-hmm. I'm just blown away yeah. um, by your work and by your process. Is there Thank any other you. insights? That, oh, you're welcome. Are there any other insights that you can share? You know, I, I was it's almost like I have a question for you, and then you always, it's almost like you're always reading my mind, and then you'll just address it, right, in your next sense. I'm like, oh my gosh, she's done like four or five times. I'm going, she's a mind reader too, because she's reading my mind over the, over the phone lines. But in terms of just, a, you know, I find it very intriguing, you know, that you've worked also with, with the perpetrators. And I was I was interested in knowing what you have learned, and if you wouldn't mind, I know we only have a few minutes left um, sharing that um, with us. And I know you already shared, you know, the information about the card, um, but I'm I was intrigued by that as well. Sure, I you know I'd be glad to do that. I, I'm always very careful when I do that with survivors, and I know that's what your organization is focused on because. Some survivors want to hear it and others don't. Like, it's really painful and difficult to hear the perpetrator side. Um, that's part of why I can do this work, I think. Um, and, I, and I learn from perpetrators because that's how we can teach caregivers, adults, how to behave to minimize risk. So basically, in, an, in a nutshell, because I know we're almost at 7.30 here, what, what I've learned from at least, and I, this is a small population of, of men and women that I've worked with. Okay, or I, I haven't worked with them. I was always a guest in outpatient treatment groups in prison. Is the theme that I learned was that there was a, an intense loss of self-worth, of self-esteem, of hopelessness, of very little healthy attachments in their own life, um, looking anywhere they could to attach and and get their own emotional needs met, uh, 
and it's so easy to get that from a child. We know that sex abuse is not about sex, so it's not about the sexual act. It's about the power and the control and about, about fulfilling these needs. Um, and the men that were very open to talking to me really described this psychological deficit of decades of pretending and stuffing feelings and not always, but often being abused themselves and not being seen and learning a lifetime of manipulation to get their needs met, which, you know, and there's porn is often involved, being exposed to porn, but somehow trying to gain a sense of, of power and control in their own life by turning to a, a more vulnerable being to control them. And that, that's like a summary of what I learned psychologically. And this is not an excuse. This is not to condone any human who does this violates a child or, another, or even another adult. But it's just for me, it's an understanding of what allows a person to have no empathy to hurt another human in this way. To hurt a child, you know, a vulnerable child. So that's I don't I know is is that what you're asking? Is that satisfying your question? Um, yes, you know, yes, and thank you for sharing that um, because um, it wasn't until after you know my um, father passed away that I was even able to speak of what had happened to me, and so you know I was never able to have that dialogue, um, any dialogue, and to me there were a lot of unanswered questions, and so because I hadn't answered questions. And again, thank you for stipulating that it was a trigger warning. I appreciate that because I'm, I'm, I know that, uh, you know, not everybody has my, my curiosity um, and wants to um, dive into the psychology behind uh, the perpetrator. Um, but um, I, I actually looked and I thought I was, I just was perplexed, you know, what makes biological par- parents, but bio- for me it was biological parents, um, mm-hmm. why would they molest a young child? And so I could only find one article, and it was in a news. I mean, I was scrubbing the Internet. This was five years ago. Um, and I only found one in the Oklahoma, Oklahoma and newspaper. And so why, why fathers molest their young daughters that, mm-hmm. that gave some information along those lines? I could only find one piece of information. Um, and they actually built a profile, profile, which very, mm-hmm. it did actually match my own father's profile. Um, mm-hmm. So anyway, I, you know, it, um, I want to give you, a, I want to give you a resource and I want to give your listeners a resource. And this is, I'm really picky with which organizations that I align with. And this one is called Incest Aware, beautiful, powerful uh, academic and personal nonprofit where many of the people involved are, you know, have biological parents who sexually assaulted them. So it's it's an excellent resource for you, and you you will definitely get your questions answered in that organization. Thank you can just Google so them, just aware. Shoot an email to me, and I can give you the link. Okay, thank you. 
Thank you. Thank you very much. Actually, I just draw that down on my notes on my on my phone as well. And that sounds familiar. Yeah. I don't know if we've so before or not, but um, that some, something rang rang um, true with me when you mentioned um, the name. So um, I'll have to I'll have to. Um, but I'm definitely going to research it. And I can't find it. I will shoot you an email. Okay. And one last resource for you before we wrap up. You've probably heard of okay. you know Marilyn Vandiver. Yes. Her book, Miss America by Day, another excellent resource. She's Miss America, I think, in 1957, and her father raped her from age 5 to 18. Mm-hmm. And she's 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 an inspirational speaker, and she's retired now, but very, very powerful speaker, and her book is all about father-daughter incest. Thank you so much for also giving yeah. us that giving that reference. Thank yeah. you. And, you know, I wish just to, again, thank you, Feather, an incredibly um, informative show. Just thank you. I just thank you for all that you do. And I echo I, I well, the sentiment. Lori's, and thank you so much for all that you do. We just need so many. We need to clone you a million times over. Um, honestly, you're just so wonderful. And I know on behalf of NASCA, we so appreciate you the work that you do and coming on this evening and sharing with us and the opportunity on January 21st, everyone um, to please, you know, look into her workshop um, two weekends, um, first 28th. Um, the information will be um, found in the archive um, of the show. The show will be archived and available on the NASP website in about 30 minutes. So thank you, Kim, my co-host. Thank you, Lori, um, our panel member. Thank you for um, the gentleman that was listening in. And as I always say, as I start off on the shows, there are enough adult eyes and ears on this planet to keep every single one of our children safe. So if you see something, if you hear something, say something, do something, it's our moral responsibility to do so. Thank you all, and good night. Good night. Good night. I'll know tomorrow, Love Talk Radio.